0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time it is, wherever you are in the world, I'm excited for today's episode. I have Karen Catlin, and Karen is a former tech exec. She is now an advocate for inclusive workplaces. She's an author, she's a speaker, she's a leadership coach. Now, inclusion is an important, but it's often a confusing and difficult topic. You know, how do you become even more inclusive as a leader? How can you be a better ally and mentor for others? How do you navigate your career so that you're seen as a team player, but you don't end up getting pigeonholed into being the person who's always doing the lesser jobs? How do you advocate for yourself? That's a lot of ground that we cover in about a half hour episode. Now, Karen takes a a very complicated issue and makes it a little bit more straightforward wherever you are in your career. She offers practical approaches for making the workplace even more inclusive. And um, it was a great conversation. Really enjoyed having her on. And speaking of great conversations, if you haven't listened to the past couple of episodes, we've had some return guests. So episode 92 was Zach Mercurio. And Zach was on in the past. He was episode 30. And we talked about finding and living your purpose. I love the topic of purpose and being purposeful and Zach has a lot of great ideas, a lot of great thoughts on it. I always learn something when I talk to Zach. So it's fantastic having him on. His previous episode was a top 10 most downloaded episode of Imperfect Action. And speaking of top 10 most downloaded episodes, episode 93, the last episode was Tuamas Ranakari. And he talked about befriending uncertainty. So not just dealing, not just coping with uncertainty, but really embracing it, befriending it making it just a steady part of our lives. And and he's a musician, so he's certainly had experience in dealing with uncertainty. And so he talks about his own approaches to it. Now, this is Tomas' third time on Imperfect Action. We've also talked about joy. We've talked about grief. And now we talk about uncertainty. Every single one of his episodes has become a top 10 most downloaded episode. In fact, one of them is and has been for quite some time now, the most downloaded episode. So great to have both uh, Tomas and Zach back on the show. Looking forward to some future episodes coming up with some repeat guests. But now let's talk to Karen. Ray, right, let's get started. Welcome to Imperfect Action. This is Brock Edwards. And of course, this is the, the podcast, the show where we're looking for ideas, inspiration, information on getting unstuck, getting out of our own way and moving forward, whether it's in our business, in our jobs, in our life. And today's guest is Karen Catlin. And Karen, can tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do and what are you up to?
1: Sure. So I'll mention I'm a former tech executive who is now an advocate for inclusive workplaces. I'm an author, I'm a public speaker, and a leadership coach primarily for women who work in the tech industry.
0: All right, so inclusive uh, workspaces. So inclusive is kind of, um, it's a broad term. Different people have different interpretations of it, I think. So how do you define inclusive?
1: Yeah, so for me, and there's so much focus these days on appreciating and welcoming and fostering diversity in our workplaces. And that means bringing in people of different genders, different races, religious backgrounds, ethnicities. Uh, ages, abilities, sexual orientations, you know, that to me is what diversity is, is having people from all sorts of different backgrounds in the workplace. And inclusion then is making sure that the workplace itself is designed and set up so that all of those people can actually do their best work and thrive. They're not just like, some number, this, you know, just ticking some boxes. Yeah, you know, we've got one of those types. Instead, they are all brought into uh, any kind of organization, and they're all set up. They really can do their best work and contribute to what the what the mission is for the organization, and professionally do great work themselves.
0: So, if I'm a, a manager, a leader, a business owner, where do you recommend starting for creating more inclusion?
1: Yes, so you kind of have to take a good hard look at yourself and identify what might not be very inclusive now. And it may be very different from organization to organization. If um, let's say, and so many people start this journey of being more inclusive by looking at gender. I come from the tech industry where we are um, just notoriously male dominated and it can be difficult for women to break into the field to have the great jobs to you know get promoted grow their careers in tech so but tech's not the only one it's just like that's a great entry point it's just look at gender um a wonderful way to start is to ask your female employees like how are things going like how how is this culture treating you and are there things that we could be doing as a company as just my you know me as a manager as a coworker, are there things we can be doing to help make sure that you are set up for success that's a great place to start and of course you can do that with people from other demographics too people of color people of different sexual orientations asking people how they are experiencing your workplace and what could be better
0: is there a way now? You, you and you may have already framed it this way a little bit, but I can see that as being well. One, just a very difficult topic because yeah. part part of the question is, and you did not phrase it this way, but it could be heard this way: like, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> where am I messing up? If if we overinterpret, where am I bad as a person? Which is not what you asked, but you know that's where people can go in their heads.
1: Of course, yes. Well. Brock, I have to tell you, this is, it definitely can be an awkward or difficult conversation. It's hard for any of us to show that vulnerability and open ourselves up to that kind of feedback. But, um, and so I get it. That said, I wanted to help people figure out that there were things they could be doing without without even having that conversation. So if you're like, I don't even want to go there. I just want to know what I can be doing. Um. I have to tell you, five years ago, I was just hearing from many people, like, I care about diversity, but what am I supposed to do? Or I care about diversity, and I've actually said the wrong thing before, and I've kind of put my foot in my mouth, and so I don't even want to get involved with this conversation anymore. I take a step back. And so I decided, like, some of this stuff is not that hard and aren't these guys that I am coming across working in tech, don't they see, what, see some of these things? And no, they, we all see what we are experiencing and not necessarily what other people are experiencing. So I decided to try to make it easy for these people who cared about diversity, but maybe didn't know what to do. And literally, I started a Twitter handle, Brock. I started a Twitter handle, and this goes back over five years ago, called At Better Allies. And I was, my goal was simply to tweet what I call simple everyday actions that people could take to be more inclusive at work. Um, An example of a simple everyday action is something like, and I would tweet this, you know, I will, I pledge to pay attention to when interruptions happen in the meetings I attend and redirect the conversation back to the person who was interrupted. That's an example of being more inclusive in your meetings. Um, Another example might be something like, um, I will review the invite list for some important meeting and make sure that people who, from these underrepresented demographics, women, people of color, whatever that might be, I'll review the invite list and make sure those, the people, my colleagues from underrepresented backgrounds are on that invite list. And if they're not, I'll advocate to get them added. Those are simple everyday things that people can do that if you have never experienced being interrupted or being left off of a meeting invite, you might not think of. So I started this Twitter handle to share those, basically those simple everyday actions. Um, And Brock, I have to admit that I, first of all, the Twitter handle was anonymous. And I was tweeting in first person as though I was a man doing these things. So I have to say, I was a little deceptive on Twitter uh, just from this approach of I was pretending to be a man sharing these actions I could do to be more inclusive at work. Um, but it seemed like it worked because <laughs> this Twitter handle started growing in popularity and people would find it, they you know like the tweets, they would tag friends and say, hey, you gotta follow at Better Allies, they've got some really great um, content that they're sharing. And it's you know slowly grew, grew in popularity, and um, and that actually led to me getting speaking requests to speak about this whole approach of how to be a better ally at work. And this is funny because the Twitter handle was anonymous, Brock. That meant people were just like sending messages to this Twitter handle saying, "Hey, does anyone from the Better Allies Initiative do any public speaking?" And I'd get these. Direct messages, and I'd be like, Ha, huh, the Better Allies initiative. It's just me doing this a little, like a very, very part time, very low um, amount of time I was spending on it. And people think it's a whole initiative, a whole team working on it. Um, but that's what happened. I would then uh, basically respond to them and say, Well, Yes, someone from our team does some public speaking. We'll put you in touch with her because I wanted to stay anonymous. I didn't want to just claim it was me. And then I'd go over to my personal Twitter handle and then get in touch with them and say, hey, I'm Karen. I contribute to Better Allies, and I love public speaking. So tell me, what do you have in mind? So I start speaking about it. And during the Q&A, every time I was up on stage, someone would ask me, Karen, we want more of this content. Do you have a book? And for a long time, it's like, no, no, I don't have a book. I don't have a book. Well, I finally did write the book. Um, I published it just over a year ago now, and it has been so well um, accepted. There seems to be a hunger for people, and this gets back to the question you asked just a little while ago. It's like, what are some? You know, what are some of the? But just basic steps I can take to be more inclusive at work and improve diversity. Well, people can find my book, and I've tried to collect and curate all these great ideas for steps that anyone can take at work. I'll stop there. That was a lot. Sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right. Well, well. One question, then I have a follow-up question. So, what's the name of the book?
1: Better Allies: Everyday Actions to Create Inclusive, Engaging Workplaces.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So uh, along with those everyday actions, so that, that's perfect. And I love just practical, simple things that, that we can do. So, so this is excellent. You know, it, it strikes me that perhaps one of the challenges it, as a leader trying to create a more inclusive workplace is that for people who haven't felt included in the past, um, I, I could imagine them holding back. So even as you're trying to include them there, I, I could, and I, again, I'm just imagining, you know, hesitancy when you're going, hey, you haven't raised your hand. Can you raise your hand more? Um, and I, I'm babbling a little bit around here, this question, but just how, how do we not only invite that conversation, but help the conversation go for people who who may have never been asked that before?
1: Yes, you know. I'm very impressed with a lot of work that Google has done in their whole human resources and people, it's what they call people operations. And one thing that they noticed many years ago is that they were promoting more men than women, even when it was uh, kind of averaged out given their demographics. Men had had a better chance at getting promoted at Google than women. And they were confused because it was like anyone can nominate themselves to get promoted. Well, it, I guess more men are not are nominating themselves on average than women. What's up with that? Well, it turned out that the women felt this mindset, and this is generally speaking, the women at Google felt, if I am ready for that promotion, my manager will actually tap me on the shoulder, encourage me to raise my hand. And the managers were like, if they want the promotion, they're gonna raise their hand. Um, so once that disconnect was understood and the women that then received basically guidance, like you, you, I'm sure the managers also, but just basically we want you to apply for this and this is the process, um, we, we think you're ready, we want you to be um, nominating yourself. And the managers I'm sure were saying, you're ready, let's go. And so I think it's important to acknowledge exactly what you just outlined is that some people don't feel comfortable putting themselves forward for more responsibility or more opportunity. And so it's great. And this is why I focus on allies. Allies realize that that might be a sort of a dynamic at play and have a conversation with someone on the side. Hey, I think you'd be awesome at this job, at this role, at this new stretch opportunity I just heard about. I th- think you should apply. I think you should raise your hand. That's a great role of an ally.
0: And that's a great example. I really like that that example because you've got an organization that sounds like they were trying to do the right thing and they're open to everyone applying and nominating themselves and it's just not happening. And if they weren't so data driven, it would be easy to miss what was going on there, you know? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, kudos for them checking it out, but also just a reminder to the rest of us that even when we think we're doing the right thing, we might be missing something. There might be something else that we could be doing. Um, So this idea of allies. So you chose that word specifically for a reason, I'm assuming. So tell me more about allies versus, you know, friend, helper, champion, whatever.
1: (laughs) Yes. Well, and I was certainly writing on a theme that other people were already going uh, forward with. There was, um, there's, before I started paying attention to this, there was a lot of discussion about the role of male allies specifically male allies and the role that they can play in creating um, um, a better work environment for women and so that was already happening and then as I created my Twitter handle actually the Twitter handle male allies was already taken so that wasn't an option for me and um Started thinking about it with a friend, and we came up with better allies. So that's how I actually came up with that phrase. And I'm actually glad. I'm glad that male allies was already taken because my focus isn't just on men and what they can do to support women. My focus is on anyone with any kind of privilege, whether it's gender or race or social standing or other things. Anyone with privilege can be a better ally for people who need some some kind of support to have an even playing field. So I actually like better allies better than male allies. But anyway, back to your question, it was because allies have had already been adopted as this notion of people helping each other at work.
0: So how can I be a better ally? What 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 are some just kind of practical ways that uh, any of us, not just the leader, and so I, I like the word allies there because I to me allies fits all levels in an organization. Exactly,
1: yes, yes.
0: So, any of us, how can any of us be a better ally?
1: Yes. Um, so, I've got a whole book that answers <laughs> that question. So, I'm trying to think of. Um, it's it's so dependent on your, you know, what you do at work every day. Um, one thing I'll share with you is that there have been studies done, and I'm not a social scientist, but I love taking the research that social scientists do, especially about workplace um, dynamics, and figure out what are those ally actions. So there's been social science research done just on performance reviews, giving feedback to people, giving constructive feedback that helps everybody grow in their career, right, and learn new things and realize what they're doing may not be the right thing and they should be doing it some other way. But what we know from this research is that We tend to hold back from giving difficult, constructive, career-growing feedback to people who are different from us. We hold back from giving them that feedback because we don't want them to think we're biased against people like them. So if you're a man... You might not give that really difficult constructive feedback to a woman because i don 't want her to think i 'm sexist and you know biased against women if we 're white, we might not want to give that feedback to a person of color because uh, i don 't want them to think i'm picking on them and i 'm biased against people of color. Um, if we have an advanced degree or a college degree, we might not want to give that career growing constructive feedback to someone who doesn't have the same education as us because i uh, I don't want them to think I'm biased against people who don't have that education, right? It goes on and on and on. So the first thing is check yourself and think about the people you give feedback to regularly, whether that is because you're a manager giving feedback to employees or just peer feedback, like how you did on that that presentation or how that email might have been better structured or something or that report that you just reviewed. Think about who you give feedback to and ask yourself, are you giving the tough feedback to people who aren't like you? And if not, of course, start doing it. Um, One other example I'll share with you is office housework. Now, do you know what that term means? Is that familiar to you?
0: It is not. I could make some guesses, but it would be around cleaning the fridge in the microwave, but I may be wrong there. So go ahead. Those
1: those are, that's okay. Those are good examples. Other examples are things like taking the minutes of a meeting, if that's not Mm. your job, or, hey, someone, can someone find time on our calendars? We need a follow-up meeting. Again, not maybe someone's job to do that, but it's a housework item that needs to happen. Or, Oh, you know, we should have a fun offsite to do some team building. Who can who can set that up and figure out what to do and make some reservations somewhere? Those are all examples of office housework. They're office housework if it's not your job. And again, based on social science research, these types of tasks tend to go to women and especially women of color. If 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 people are looking around the table who can take minutes, if there's only one woman, everyone starts looking at her. Um, if there are a few women, they are the ones who are going to be expected to do it. Um, it's it's a it's strange dynamic at play. Um, and then, of course, we women have a challenge in that we often volunteer to get these things done. Like, oh, it's just not that hard, really. I'll just do it. I want to be seen as a team player. I don't want to, you know, have any negative association with my commitment to this job. So I'll just do it. So we tend to volunteer for these things, too. But guess what? when we are busy taking the notes at a meeting, we're kind of a step behind the conversation and we're not contributing at the same level as everyone else, right? If we're the one who's finding time on everyone's calendar and acting as almost an administrative assistant for the team for that, you know, follow-up meeting, we are putting ourselves in a subservient role to our peers and they're going to start looking down at us in general. Um, If we're planning an offsite, you know, and figuring out where we all can have some fun, we're not maybe making progress on our quarterly goals and the goals that we are actually going to be measured on, right? So, from an ally point of view, is Raise your hand yourself if, if you're not a woman and, and start doing some of these tasks. Realize that if there's been a lunch meeting and there's like some leftover food that probably needs to be brought to the kitchen, realize that you could actually take that out of the, the room and bring it to the kitchen yourself and not assume that one of the women in the room is going to do that. Um, if there is a need for an ongoing type of thing, such as taking minutes at a meeting and it's no one's job to do that, set up a rotation. Every every month when that standing meeting happens, it's going to be someone else's turn who's at the meeting. Um, And of course, if you're seeing someone who's always volunteering to do these thankless tasks, you might want to you know speak to them privately and coach them a little bit and say, you know, I'm worried about your career growth. You you're always you're such a great team player, but you're always volunteering to do these things that really aren't going to lead to your growth in your career, you might want to pull back a little bit and let other people take it on. Um, So those are some, I I hope to answer your question of how anyone can be an ally. Those are just some of the examples.
0: Yeah, which um, great examples. And so that leads to the question, and this isn't really the allies part of it, but um, you may have some insight here. So if I am that person, you know, there's a fine line it sounds like between being the person who's ready to pitch in, get the job done, no matter what it is, where it is. And those people are super valuable. Mm-hmm. But that line then, when it becomes, oh, you're typecast now as the person who just does kind of the work that's seen as the lesser work. Yes. And what advice would you have for someone, particularly someone whose early career, who these tasks often fall to? How do how can they navigate that? Where yes, the work needs to get done, and yes, sometimes, especially early career, we all just do things that aren't glamorous. But that's sure. Just- part of it. And, and, you know, we're seen as someone who's helpful and that's awesome. And we get given bigger and more complicated and more important and more visible tasks versus getting stuck with those and never moving up.
1: Right. Right. So what my advice is, yeah, you have, we all have to pay our dues. We have to do some of that, but if you are feeling like it's always falling on you and let me tell you, I talked to so many women who they've been the only women in the room and they're frustrated because their peers, they aren't the most junior person in the room. they they do have the peers around the table and they are the ones to at, be asked the very specific things of like, can you take the minutes? Can you mm. uh, look for time on our calendars? Can you schedule a follow-up meeting? I mean, it's, it is palpable to them. So that's when it's like, no, this is no longer you just paying your dues. Other people around the table don't have to pay the same dues as you. So it's time to, to Make some change, and my advice is this is when you enlist an ally. Because if you, in that time, like, hey, why am I the only woman who has to, only woman here, and I'm being the one who's asked to do this um, office housework, you might come across as filling whatever adjective you want, Brock. Right? You might come across as just not being that team player. So, better is to talk to an ally, someone who is has a seat at the table as well, offline. Ahead of the meeting, if it's sort of a standing meeting, after this ongoing cultural thing, and just say, "Hey, this is happening. I'm pretty frustrated. Can you advocate for a rotational assignment list where we share this responsibility instead of having it all fall on me? It's just it's really not fair." So enlist an ally, um, kind of in private afterwards, and let them advocate for change, kind of in the moment or with with the the powers that be. If you, can see uh, what I mean there.
0: Well, and I can imagine that being a, a difficult conversation for for some, you know, especially here in the States where it's, you know, the rugged individual, we solve our own career problems. At least that's the myth behind it all. And to be able to reach out to someone without feeling like, you know, we're whining or complaining or, or anything like that and enlist their help. Um, I can imagine that being challenging. And so, Are are there strategies or approaches that we could use that would just help us get that ball rolling?
1: (laughs) Uh, Sure. I'm I'm laughing just because it's like, yeah, I understand what you're saying. But at the same time, we as humans need to seek advice from people all the time to get better. I mean, we can't do it all by ourselves, even though I love that image you just painted of the rugged individual who's got it all under control. We should be seeking advice, seeking advice from mentors, seeking advice from people who have done something before us. And in some ways, this is just that kind of a conversation is, is talking to someone that you trust. I mean, you do have to have some trust with someone. You're going to reach out and ask them to be your ally and, you know, disrupt this office housework or whatever the situation is. But having conversations, like, do you see what's happening like, do you see this? Like, this is what's going on. Have you seen it? And I need your help to disrupt this because if I speak up on my own behalf, it's not going to go well. But you've got a certain social standing with the group. I think you can do this. So I think it it needs to be a very, yes, a vulnerable conversation, but it's just a conversation that needs to happen.
0: Well, speaking of, of vulnerability, how how does that help? Um, or hurt, or, I mean, I mean, just trying to think. You know, vulnerability is always kind of a tricky thing in the workplace, right? Like, we all want people who are vulnerable that we feel like we have this human connection with, and yet there are situations where it can come across as a, a weakness or, or be seen as you know less than ideal. And I'm I'm kind of stumbling for a question here, so I apologize for that, Karen. <laughs> but you know, just that. Yeah a lot of advice goes to that. And I think there's some tremendous advantages to being able to be vulnerable. You know, Brene Brown has built a, a career around this idea of vulnerability.
1: Yep. Love her. Yes. Love her message.
0: Yes. And I guess, you know, being vulnerable that first time, I guess I'm thinking of like early career people or people who feel like they haven't been included and vulnerability may be more difficult. Um, yeah, I guess I keep going back to the question, like, just how do we get started there, <laughs> that, that first step?
1: Well, let me, let me ask you, Brock, have you, as we're talking, do you think, can you reflect on the past? Have, has there been a situation where you wished you had an ally, someone who would advocate for you because of something that was going on?
0: Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I suspect we, we've all had that. I've had some great, great mentors in my life. And there have also been times where I, I wished I had a great mentor in my life or, you know, someone who could uh, help me articulate what was in my head, but I wasn't able to figure out a way to communicate. Even if I try to communicate it, you know, the message wasn't landing.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. And as you thought about seeking that help, from that mentor, from that respected person about whatever it was, help me formulate how I want to say this so that it's powerful, that it lands well, that it has the desired impact. Was that hard for you?
0: Uh, Yes, I I would say so. For me, some of that goes back to the, uh, well, well, several factors, and I'm just thinking across a couple different situations here of um, how stuck I felt you know, mm-hmm. when I didn't feel that stuck, I find it easier to ask for advice and feedback. <laughs> Sometimes when I'm sure, feeling very really okay. stuck, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, I should be able to figure this one out on my own, or at least, you know, get started in figuring it out. Um, so or so kind of the the ones that I find I, I personally get stuck on are, are kind of those where it's like, yeah. I just don't have a clue. And I feel like at this stage in my, my career or on this task that I've been given, I should have more of a clue about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. I would encourage you and hopefully this is helpful to other listeners too is when you hit that that situation where you feel like I should know how to do this and I don't know how is think about it in terms of I need to get help because I need to make sure that what I'm doing here is going to have the best impact on my business, my organization, my group. I need to make sure that what I'm doing is going to have the biggest impact. And if you think of it that way, I bet it's going to be a whole lot easier for you to say, this isn't about me not knowing how to do something. I It's about me getting some assistance and making sure this, whatever I want to say or do is going to have just the best impact on our goals, on what we're trying to achieve as a group. Um, I'm going to share with you, and maybe this is just something that uh, – Well, I'm not even going to say what I was going to say there, but I'm going to share something else. I was just seeing on Twitter, someone ran a poll asking women who work in tech, like, how many of you have asked a man to deliver a message at a meeting because you know that message will be better received by him than if you were to say it yourself? And hundreds of women replied, And almost half of them said, of course, yeah, it happens, like kind of happens all the time. Yes, I've been in that situation. So these women all, to me, have this mindset of, I'm going to ask a man to say this because I want this idea, this thing I'm proposing to actually get accepted, to get carried forth because it's the right thing for the company. And And so I'm going to find the best way to do that. And if it means having a man to say that for me, I'm going to do that. So I really think the mindset shift there of focusing on the bigger purpose might help you and maybe help listeners um, be more comfortable with that vulnerability that we tend to want to hide or keep under covers. Does that help help you as you think about
0: it? Absolutely. And I I love the reframing of that because – talking about results, talking about impact, um, that is is all easy. uh, For me, that's much easier versus talking about like, hey, I don't know how to do this. You know, just that slight pivot of phrasing to how can I do this even better? Um, Or even, I mean, you took that even further. It's not even about me, just how do we create a great impact here?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, And yes, obviously I'm the one doing it, but, you know, it's the focus is totally off of the individual and onto what what we're trying to do, and even better, so I uh, love the reframing and, and very simple reframing, but a very powerful one thanks so um, wow what so what haven't I asked you yet Karen <laughs> i don't know I think we've covered a lot of ground <laughs> we, we have so um a C- couple things just kind of as we start wrapping up here then, and I, you know, I, and maybe this is just on my head because, you know, my, my own daughter is, you know, in, in college now, and we'll, we'll be hitting early career here soon. Uh, but what advice would you have for, for, you know, kind of that early career woman or early career, um, you know, anyone going into the field where they are not in the majority?
1: Yes. Uh, so, There will be different cultures from company to company to organization to organization. And even within a company or an organization, there are going to be different cultures within the teams that, that you might be joining. And so if you have the luxury of being a little bit picky, that there are a lot of opportunities in front of you, I definitely encourage you to pay attention to the culture that you might be joining and ask questions of the people who work there. Like what, you know, tell me about what you do around creating an inclusive culture. For example, tell me about your commitment to diversity at this company. Tell me what you have personally done to create a place, a a workplace where everyone can really do their best work, have that conversation and find out, and evaluate it, and make sure that you feel that this group that you might be taking a job with and joining is going to be supportive for for you and what you need. Um, second thing is there is such power in having mentors, and so if your, you know, your daughter or whoever is um, joining an organization and not she doesn't feel that she has a mentor, is seek that out. Seek out if there's someone internally that could. For example, very in a very easy ask. Hey, during my first um, six months here, could we get coffee once a month so I can just understand a little bit more about like kind of the unspoken rules of how to, to be successful here? I want to hear about your career. I want to know things about how you've been successful. Like seek someone out like that, and um, and if you don't know who to ask, ask your manager if they can recommend someone that you can you can uh, ask to be your mentor. Um, and I always like I'll just share. I love time boxing any kind of mentoring request. You heard me say, can we get together for coffee once a month, maybe for the next six months? That's time boxing it in a way that makes it easy for someone who's on the receiving end being asked um, to understand what the commitment actually is. For you, you know, anyone to just say to someone else, Hey, would you be my mentor? It's a little bit vague what that even means. And How, you know, do I have the time? Do I, can I really help this person? So instead be very specific with the ask um, and make it easy for them to say yes, because they understand what the commitment is.
0: Excellent. And so you mentioned culture and the question that popped into mind there is I have yet to come across a company, an organization you know on the website on the brochure says you know we have the least diverse culture, and we're really proud of it. You know we hate <laughs> inclusivity um, you know everyone everyone has good words. Uh, is there a way to kind of dig a little deeper to see what kind of the day to day reality is?
1: Yeah, ask that question. Tell me what you've done recently in support of diversity or inclusion at your company? Tell me what you have done, yep. No.
0: Nice. All right. Well, uh, this has been a fabulous conversation, and uh, it's a very, very important topic, and I I like this topic a lot. So where can people find you?
1: Yes. So I have two websites. Uh, One is betterallies.com, and that has information about my books. I I do have other books on Better Allies. Um, I have a weekly newsletter that I send out. It's called Five Ally Actions. So if you don't like reading nonfiction books, but maybe would Would love to get an email with some ideas every week. You can sign up for it there at betterallies.com. And then my coaching and speaking business is all on my other website, which is karencatlin.com.
0: All right, excellent. So question I always ask to wrap things up here is, how can the listener help you? What would your ask be of them?
1: (laughs) Buy my book. In fact, (laughs) buy a copy of my book for everyone on your team. Because I think that, collectively, if everyone adopts this mindset of, I'm going to be a better ally at work, and that's kind of permeating throughout the organization, the whole place is going to be so much more inclusive for not just people from underrepresented groups, but it's going to be a better environment for people in the majority as well.
0: All right. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for being on today, Karen. Really appreciate it.
1: Brock, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me.